Good morning and happy Thursday. Welcome to the Daily Bible Wrap-Up. We start today in Psalm 63, a line that really struck me. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. You know, I often do this. It may sound a bit odd, but I sometimes wonder at night what the actual act of dying would be like. This is not a morbid thing. It's just trying to imagine the experience and of what it's going to be like to see Jesus for the first time, actually see and feel and hold. Sometimes my meditations on this take me to details. You know, you're kind of like in a dreamlike state. I've seen what to me was like a palace in the sky or a temple with several rooms. And depending upon what your beliefs were when you were alive and your works depended upon what room you went to. Something like that. Now, again, none of this is morbid or I'm not trying to predict anything or whatever. It's just, you know, curiosity that sometimes takes me in a semi-dream state when you're just lying there and you're half awake, half asleep takes me to some interesting visions. We go over to New Testament today. We're in John 10, verse 22. So we have a big transition statement here. It was now winter, time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. Jesus was in the temple walking through Solomon's colonnade. I find that a rather interesting detail. I wanted to look up what exactly was Solomon's colonnade because there's probably some significance as it would indicate where he was going from or to and also where he was heading from or to i mean it depends upon doesn't say what direction he's going in well here the people confronted him asking when will he say he's the Messiah? Or if you are the Messiah, just go ahead and tell us. I mean, why are you making us wait? This is interesting. But Jesus says that he's already told them. But they don't see it because they don't believe. It's kind of like naysayers today. They, they want proof first. Show me proof that your God is real. Then I'll believe, is what sometimes they'll say. Want tangible, physical proof that they can see before they'll consider believing. But I think faith works the other way around, the opposite direction. If you believe, then your eyes are opened and you'll see the truth. And certainly my personal experience that has been true. I don't think it's possible at all to convince someone starting from a position there is no God, tell me otherwise, that there is. It says, pastor at a church I used to attend said, you have to, when you read the Bible, start from the premise that you believe God is real. 
and then the Bible will unfold in front of you. But if you don't start with that premise, the Bible makes zero sense. If you think about that, it, there's a lot of wisdom in that statement. Quote, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is Jesus explaining that aspect of faith. Now, for this and other statements that Jesus said, people once again picked up stones wanting to kill Jesus for blasphemy. Which is rather interesting because just in the beginning of this passage, as I said, are you going to tell us you're the Messiah or not? So was that question from an honest heart or not? Or were they trying to trick him into saying, yes, I am the Messiah. Okay, we're going to go ahead and stone you. They tried to arrest him, but he got away. And then the reading ends, quote, and many who were there believed in Jesus. So this wasn't an either or thing. I don't think everybody picked up stones to want to stone him. I think some had an open heart. But I do think that the original question of like, will you not say now that you're the Messiah? Definitely there was a good chance that that was to try to trick him. And that's something I don't think that I ever noticed before when reading this passage. Again, a lot of times you just kind of like gloss over these things. Well, I, I just want to get my reading done for the day so I can say, yay, I've accomplished something. And I'm on track to doing this in a year. Reading the Bible in a year is a commitment and it's difficult. But then if you make that a habit, each time you go through it, you get a deeper and deeper and deeper understanding and appreciation. We go over in Old Testament, when now when First Samuel we're done with Ruth, Ruth was a very short book, introduced the lineage of David. Samuel's divided into two books. I believe I remember reading last year that actually it it was originally one long book, like Kings also was one long book, but was divided up maybe because it couldn't fit on one scroll. Something just pragmatic like that. First Samuel 1 is started with the introduction of Elkanah, who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth. You know where all this is, right? No, I don't either. But then it says in the hill country of Ephraim. So that gives it a little bit more of a grounding in a, a place that we have talked about before. Anyway, each year he traveled to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. Now, hang on a second here for a moment. I thought that all worshiping of God was to be at the place of his choosing and that that ended up being the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, that Joseph and Mary and Jesus were doing that on an annual basis. So, I'm not really sure about that. 
I think I'm missing something there. Anyway, he had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah didn't. She made Hannah sad, and Peninnah taunted her for it. So one time during these trips, Hannah prayed at the tabernacle very hard for a child and was rewarded with pregnancy, and then Samuel was born. Now, when Samuel was weaned, Sam, uh, Hannah gave him to the Lord, left him at the tabernacle. This was a a gift of return. And I want to stop there just for a second because I have been acutely aware, probably more so in the last few months, about the need to, when you're blessed, to give back blessings. And I think we're tempted, and I know I am, to hold on to those blessings and forget the whole cycle, the whole reason. God blesses people through other people. So that's the lesson I got from the reason why Hannah left Samuel at the tabernacle. And that, now we go over to second or first Samuel 2, and she's singing a song of praise. After having done this, she's praising the Lord for all that she's done, all that he's done for her. And then she and El Elkanah returned home without Samuel, who then served the priest Eli. Apparently, Eli had sons were, that were not good priests. They were priests, but they were not the best character. Quote, but Samuel, though he was only a boy serve the Lord, end quote. Now, every year, Hannah would visit when making the annual pilgrimage, and she'd have a new coat for Samuel that she made for him. I guess that she would make a new coat because he's a boy, he's growing. So that, it wasn't an abandonment. That relationship continued. But the interesting thing here is that she was blessed and she acknowledged it, and then she was blessed again with three more sons and two daughters, which I see as a reward for her faithfulness to dedicate Samuel to the Lord. Now, Eli was old, but knew the nefarious deeds his sons were committing. He asked them to repent, but they refused. While as Samuel grew up, he grew in favor with the Lord, and with the people. And that's it for today. I hope you have a wonderful day today and live today as if the King is coming back today.